Amen. Well, how many of you have had some scenes like that throughout the last several months? We could probably spend the rest of the time having testimony service. <laughs> right. Whenever we have testimonies, I always like them to be more testy than moaning. Right. So. All right. Well, this morning we are uh, we're going to put our series on hold uh, at the crossroads with God and uh, pick that up again next week. And uh, as you know, this is Thanksgiving week and uh, Thursday's Thanksgiving Day, and I want to pause. Uh, this week to bring you a Thanksgiving kind of message, right? And uh, so, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. That's Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. And here's a story that many of you, you've heard before. It's a story that has faith and hope and grace and healing and rejoicing and thanksgiving and ingratitude as well. How many of you have ever experienced ingratitude? All right. I don't mean this as well in yourself or someone else. Should have been grateful for, to you for something, right? But didn't, right? So let's read the whole story here to get a sense of it. And then we'll come back and unpack it together. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. And it says this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, When all, all ten cleansed, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise, go. Your faith has made you well. Would you bow in prayer over the word of God this morning? Oh, Heavenly Father, God, this is your word. And God, we know that... Um, uh, Things come into our lives and challenge us, God, but we want you to speak to us this morning, encourage our hearts, strengthen our spirits. In Jesus' name we pray, God. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's unpack this together. All right, so it says here in verse 11, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. All right, now notice here that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And, you know, we mentioned this in the passage last week, that this is the same trip to Jerusalem that Jesus is going for the last time that we saw last week. And he'll be crucified there for our sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. And he's taking his time getting there. He's stopping all along the way in all these towns and villages. And he's ministering to people and healing people and, and teaching people. I mean, a lot of love and grace is coming from Jesus on this trip to Jerusalem. And here, he's traveling along this border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, that's an interesting detail. You see, because it would have been unusual for religious Jews to go near Samaria. So if you look on a map of the time of, of Israel, you would see that in the northern part up by the Sea of Galilee, there's, I mean, there's Galilee right there. And directly south of that is Samaria. And then directly south of that is Judea and Jerusalem. And the shortest trip from Galilee, where Jesus was, to Jerusalem, where he was going, was straight through Samaria. 
But religious Jews usually avoided that route and took a longer route instead uh, because there was all of this hostility between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. They didn't like each other. And so if you were a religious Jew, if you were in Galilee, wanted to go to Jerusalem, you would go east first, cross the Jordan River, then go down south along the other side of the Jordan River to avoid Samaria, and then around Jericho somewhere, you'd pass back over uh, and then make your way up kind of a little bit of a dangerous, hostile uh, countryside type of path up towards to Jerusalem. And then if you were a Samaritan, living in Samaria, and someone was coming from Galilee, headed towards Jerusalem, well, you didn't even give them the time of day. I mean, they, they weren't welcome in your town. But Jesus here is intentionally traveling along this border. He's living on the edge. He's living dangerously. But as always, he has a purpose. And a plan. So let's keep going and see it unfold. In verse 12, it says, As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And so Jesus here is going into this village along this border, and ten men with leprosy meet him. Now, this doesn't look like a coincidence. Right? It doesn't look like there just happened to be ten lepers sitting alongside the road as Jesus happened to go in, right? Because, and let me tell you why. I mean, these men had leprosy. And leprosy was this awful disease, especially back then. It attacked the nerves and caused discoloring and bulging of the skin. And you'd lose um, feeling in your hands and fingers that would often lead uh, to injuries and deformities and sometimes losing fingers and, and toes. And uh, it was terrible. And in that day, there was no cure. Today, there's a cure for leprosy. But in that day, there was no cure. It was a death sentence that was carried out slowly and painfully. And so it was feared as well. People were afraid of it. They were afraid that they were going to catch this disease. And they had these well-developed rules for anyone who had this disease. You had to cover your face. You had to be separated from family and society. You had to wear torn clothes so that they could be easily identified and avoided. You had to cry out, unclean, unclean, if you were coming near anybody. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that it was forbidden for any lepers to go into a town or a city or to, be, uh, to live with somebody in the same house. And if they violated any of these rules, it was justifiable for people to pick up stones and stone you to death. So it's not common for a leper to come into a city or town. They often lived alone out in the wilderness or often in leper colonies outside of the towns. And so um, it would have been unusual for Jesus to go into town and encounter a leper there just by chance. But here, I mean, there's ten of them. Ten lepers waiting as he gets into town. And, and it probably freaked everybody out. I mean, because these people were freaked out with one leper is coming down the street. But here, all of a sudden, there's ten of them. And so probably everybody is just freaked out. Everyone except for Jesus. And because Jesus didn't get freaked out, ever. We do sometimes, but Jesus never. So what's going on here that these, what's going on here that these ten lepers meet him? I mean, certainly not by chance. And they weren't just hanging out on the road saying, Hey, look, there's Jesus. Have mercy on us. So what's going on here? Well, we can't be entirely sure, but I'm going to suggest something like this. You remember sometime earlier, Jesus healed another leper? The story is found in Mark chapter 1. And this man came up to Jesus, fell on his knees begging him, if you are willing, 
you can make me clean. And, and he broke all the rules to do that. I mean, he risked his life to do that. Came into the crowd, and people could have stoned him right there, and he didn't know what this rabbi was going to do, if he was going to have mercy on him or not. But he comes up to Jesus, falls on his knees, says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, something nobody else would ever do. And he healed him. I mean, everybody would have been shocked. And, and then Jesus tells this man to not tell anyone about this. But instead it says that he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And it was spread so widely that it says that Jesus couldn't even go into any towns anymore. He had to stay outside because so many people were coming to him from everywhere. And so this amazing story that people were hearing would have included all these details that this leper broke all the rules by coming to this rabbi, that um, the rabbi really didn't care, didn't faze him at all, and he even reached out and touched him and healed him. That's what was getting around to everybody. And so it's very likely that this story got about to all the lepers, all the leper colonies. It would have been something that would have spread like wildfire um, among lepers. And so when they hear that Jesus is coming near where they are, these ten lepers, they gather the courage to go together into town to see if he might have mercy on them as well. And they stand at a distance, it says. And, you know, they must have still feared all the rules and what could happen to them. They stand at a distance. And as Jesus entered the village, they begin to call out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have pity on us. Now, I mean, think about that for a minute. That must have created some type of a ruckus. All these people focusing on Jesus, and all of a sudden, ten lepers shouting, you know, have mercy on us. You know, it wasn't uncommon when someone started shouting at Jesus, like, remember blind Bartimaeus? People started shouting him down. Like, stop interrupting Jesus. Just, just be quiet, be quiet. We're focusing on Jesus, right? Well, this guy had a need. Well, these ten lepers, same thing, right? Everyone's focused on Jesus, and they're shouting, have mercy on us, Jesus, have mercy on us. They're coming to him in faith. I mean, they're desperate. In the natural, they have no hope. They're experiencing this slow and agonizing death sentence. But now Jesus has come there. There's a possibility. Maybe something could change. Maybe, just maybe, he'll have mercy on them. And I encourage you, when you have a desperate situation, go to Jesus. I mean, sometimes, you know, we get into these desperate situations and we're going to everything else first and Jesus last. When everything else fails, well, I guess I'll go to Jesus. And I encourage you, go to Jesus first. I mean, there may be some responsible things you need to do and take steps with and all of that, but let Jesus be your first go-to. Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus responds by saying in verse 14a, Go, show yourselves to the priest. Okay, now hold on a second. Doesn't that just seem a little weird? I mean, that's a little bit different, isn't it? I mean, usually when Jesus healed somebody... He did it right there on the spot, right? I mean, think about it. When he raised the little girl from the dead, he grabbed her hand and told her right there uh, to get up, and she got up. Right? When, when blind Bartimaeus called out for mercy, Jesus said, bring him here to me. And he was healed right there on the spot. When, when the other leper came to Jesus, asking to be cleansed, Jesus reached out and touched him right there on the spot, and he was healed. But here Jesus says, go, show yourself to the priest. No calling them forward. No touching them, no pronouncement of healing, just go to the priest. Now, in the natural, I mean, I would think that would be kind of discouraging. I think I would have been like, what, you're not going to call us forward? 
uh, you're not going to lay your hands on us like you did the other leper. You're not, you're not going to speak a word of healing or anything like that. Just like go to the priest. I mean, I think that would have been discouraging. And the priest didn't have any cures. All they did was look at you to see whether or not you had been healed or not. So why go show yourself to the priest in this condition? I mean, that would be pointless. What sense would that make? And so I, I get a couple ideas from this. First, sometimes life doesn't make sense. All right, you know, we want it to make sense. And sometimes we, we're okay when it doesn't make sense for someone else. But when something really crowds into our life, I mean, something really real and, and really difficult, and it just doesn't make sense. And you ask God, God, why? Why is this happening, God? What, what reason, what purpose is there for this? Sometimes life doesn't make sense. And it requires us to walk just one step at a time in faith. And then secondly, Jesus doesn't always do everything the same way every single time. Any of you ever notice that? I mean, we tend to like repeatable and predictable results. I mean, especially as Americans, in an American society. I mean, that's why we build assembly lines, right? And we have quality control so that we can have the same predictable results every single time. And you know what? That's great if you're working in industry or if you're making medical equipment or if you're mass-producing cars and you want the brakes to work the same every single time. But Jesus isn't like that. You don't come to Jesus and push a button and just get a predictable result every single time. Sometimes with Jesus, you just take him at his word and walk by faith. And that's what these guys did. I mean, there must have been something in Jesus' voice, something about how Jesus said it that, that moved them and gave them faith to follow through because instead of just going back to the leper colony or just disbanding and go away, it says they turned and began going. The next part of that verse says, and as they went. As they went. Now think about that for a minute. Do you know where the priests were? I mean, the priests were in Jerusalem. Most of the priests are in Jerusalem. Uh, that's where they lived and worked. And uh, they were rotated on a schedule of priestly duties. And so most of them, if they weren't living in Jerusalem, were living in the towns surrounding Jerusalem. Maybe a few scattered throughout Israel, but uh, certainly not anywhere near Samaritan towns or Samaritan borders or, or anything like that. Uh, priests wouldn't be caught dead in those ty types of areas. And besides, it's not likely... Um, that they would have found someone there anyway because the tradition was if you were healed of leprosy, you go to the temple, find a priest there to get an official documentation that, hey, you've been healed. They came from the temple. So when it says that these guys turned and went as they went, um, the idea is what well, they're not just going down the street to find some local priest, you know, who likely wasn't there. Um, it's likely that they're turning and going to Jerusalem of all places, that they're starting on this long journey. Now, there's some faith there. I mean, they weren't healed yet, but they obeyed and trusted Jesus' word. You know, I think they're to be commended for this. You know, I think some in the crowd probably would have thought like, wow, that was a cool way for Jesus to get rid of these guys. You know, send them to Jerusalem. <laughs> send them to the priest. Wow, good one, Jesus, right? <laughs> now, that wasn't what Jesus was doing or thinking, right? But I think probably some were thinking that. And uh, why didn't I think of that, right? So... There's some faith there. 
they'd be commended for that. You know, sometimes when you walk by faith, it can seem like it's a long journey. Right? And you don't see the end of the journey sometimes. All you can see is the next step. And you, so, so you take the next step. You know, I think many of you are to be commended. You know, for I know there's been a number of you who've gone through some very difficult things, some very trying things, you know, but, and you didn't understand everything that you were going through. Listen, when you go through those types of things and you just keep taking one step at a time, just one more step of faith, trust just that one step that you can see, trusting Jesus. Can I tell you, you ought to be commended for that. This pastor is commending you for that. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Every time you take one more step of faith. They showed some faith. And then it says at the end of this verse, and as they went, they were cleansed. Now, we don't know exactly how far they got before they realized they were cleansed, right? I mean, it couldn't have been very far, right? Because Jesus, uh, looks like from our story, Jesus is still in town there. He's still available. And it looks like the same crowd is still there. So, but at the same time, it was far enough. It seems clear that they weren't directly in Jesus' presence. Because it doesn't look like they could just, you know, they were here to there. They could just say, oh, wow, look, we're cleansed. Hey, thanks, Jesus. Hey, look at this, right? It looks like they would probably departed his presence. So they were some way away, but not that far away. Going on in verse 15. It says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Now, picture this scene for a minute. I mean, picture the moment when they begin to realize that they're healed. I think one guy probably stops and he says, Hey, hey guys, look, look at my hands. Uh, they're not all deformed anymore, and the, and, the, and the skin's not falling off. And another guy says, Hey, yeah. I mean, look at his face. It's like normal. It doesn't have all that bulging skin anymore. It's like normal. And then the others begin to look at their hands and say, Hey, my hands are right too. And, and your face is right too. And, and everybody begins to realize that they're all healed. They're all cleansed. You know, I think it's fair to imagine that was probably a fair amount of rejoicing going on amongst them, right? And then one of them, one of them, it says in verse 15, comes back looking for Jesus. And it says, he snuck up behind Jesus, put his hands over his eyes and said, hey, Jesus, guess who? (laughs) Is that what your Bible says? No? Let me check it again. Oh, he, he came back and quietly made his way through the crowd, found a nice place, raised his hand, and waited to be called on. Why? Your Bible doesn't say that? Well, let me check one more time. Oh, there it is. It says he found Peter, slipped him a little note, and said, Hey, can you give this to Jesus when you get a chance? Is that what your Bible says? No, it says he came back praising God in a loud voice threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan, right? And so, can I tell you something? This was not dignified. This was loud. This was bold. It may have been interruptive. Jesus may have been teaching or healing or answering questions or or anything like that. And it says that the word thanked here in this verse is in the present active tense. That means he kept on thanking him. He's saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. And the And so this is how this looks like to me. So suddenly you see this guy. And Jesus is teaching, he's ministering, he's healing, he's he's answering questions. And suddenly this guy comes from afar off. And and you can hear him yelling. 
And you can hear him shouting praises, right? And the, and the noise just keeps getting louder and louder. He keeps coming towards the group until finally everybody's attention is now no longer on Jesus. They're looking at this guy coming, and he comes, and he busts into the group, and he's pushing through people, pushing his way to the front, going uh, to the front to see Jesus. And uh, everyone's looking at him, wondering, like, what is going on with this guy? Everyone except for Jesus. I believe, it doesn't say it here, but I believe Jesus is looking at this. He's got a smile on his face, that type of knowing smile, because he knows what this is. And he comes running up past everyone, throws himself at Jesus' feet, and begins to thank him over and over again. And he's kneeling at Jesus' feet. He's kissing his feet. He's loudly saying, you know, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this healing. Thank you for having mercy on me. Praise God for his mercy on me. Hey, everybody, look at me. Look at my hands. Look at my face. My skin is clean. It's not falling off anymore. They're not deformed. I'm healed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And you know, why not? I mean, his whole life was turned around and changed in that encounter with Jesus. I mean, before, he had a death sentence that's being administered slowly and painfully. He'd been separated and ostracized from his family. Now he's healed. He can get a job. He can go back to society. He can go back to his family. He can have friends again. You know, you'd rejoice too. I mean, mean, this calls for rejoicing and celebration. And this man has it. He has a real appreciation, a deep thankfulness. You know what? That's the kind of appreciation that we should have towards our Heavenly Father. That we should have towards our Savior Jesus. You say, Pastor Paul, don't you think that's a little bit excessive or something like that? Really? That type of, uh, of thankfulness to God? Well, you know the Apostle Paul described it in the book of Colossians chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 7. He said this, Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. Now, that's quite an image for you, isn't it? I mean, that's not just your vessel being, you know, having a little sip at the bottom, right? That's not your vessel being, you know, half full, enough to be just respectable to others. That's an image of you being so full of thankfulness that it just overflows on everyone around you, that if anyone comes near you, they're going to get splashed with thankfulness. An image of thankfulness that never runs out. Why? Because you know that spiritually, you were that leper. I was that leper. We were that leper. We were spiritually sick with sin. We were cut off from the family of God because of this spiritual sickness called sin. We were spiritual outcasts. And we were living outside the camp of God's blessing. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. But God made us alive with Christ and he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And hallelujah, that's something to rejoice about. And he's given us his very great and precious promises. And he continues to pour into our vessels day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, being faithful to us. Be overflowing in thankfulness. Amen. The last phrase of that verse says, and he was a Samaritan. Luke adds that, and I think it's really important that he does. It tells us something really important. You know when it says in the Bible that God so loved the world? 
that he gave his one and only son. When it says that God so loved the whole world, I mean, it means it. Right? Here you have a Samaritan that Jesus was gracious towards, that the Jewish people around, around would have looked at and despised. But God's grace goes to this man anyway. So you know what that tells me? It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter whether you're white or black or Hispanic or Asian or anything else. God's grace is for you. It doesn't matter what education level you have, whether you think you're smart or whether you think you're not so smart or, uh, or whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between. None of that matters if you'll come to Jesus the way this man came, humbly following your heart before him, humbly on your knees. He will receive you. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. All right, going on. Verses 17 and 18, it says, Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are all the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? All right, and so Jesus asks the obvious question. I mean, we're not all ten cleansed? You know, and probably anyone who was there and who was paying attention would be asking the same question. Hey, what, what happened here? Was only this guy healed? What were the other nine? What's going on with them? And, uh, and so Jesus asked it out loud. I think to point out something important that they might miss. Yes, all ten were healed. But only this one returned to give thanks and praise to God. And by the uh, implication, the other nine missed something. Like Jesus is implying strongly that the other nine missed this. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what was going on with them. Uh, uh, I know they had left the scene, but they weren't really that far away. Jesus is still in town. It wouldn't have been too difficult for them to come back and give thanks uh, to him as well. And, and my goodness, I mean, you've just had your whole life restored and uh, given back to you. You'd think there'd be some expressions of thankfulness. I mean, the scene should have been ten times as big as it was. There should have been ten men boldly coming and praising God and busting through the crowd and falling at Jesus' feet, um, thanking him. It should have been like a microcosm of that scene in Revelation when all the redeemed of the Lord gather around the throne saying to him who sits on the throne... Uh, and to the land be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Should have been kind of a microcosm of that. But instead, only just one. You know, Jesus once asked this question. He said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? But here, we see that sometimes gratitude and thankfulness is even rarer than faith. The men all obeyed what Jesus told them to do. They all set out to find a priest. They all acted in faith. They all received a healing. Only one was overflowing with thankfulness. All right, so what's going on with these other nine? I mean, what, what, what's going on in their hearts? And the passage doesn't exactly say, so we can't say with certainty. But I do want to use this opportunity afforded by these nine guys to give you nine things quickly that the Bible says will short-circuit thankfulness in your life. Found in Timothy chapter 3, and it says this. And then after this, we'll close, right? Um, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. That's quite a list, isn't it? And right in the middle of that is ungrateful. And so I want to use this list here to give you nine quick things in honor of these nine guys that will short-circuit thankfulness in your life. All right, here, here we go. The first is this, being a lover of yourself. 
You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but there are some people who are in love with themselves. Maybe you work with some of them. I, you know, I, I don't know. The type of person who comes to shake your hands and, and, and as you do says, hey, it's really good for you to meet me. Right, someone who loves... <laughs> oh, I, you've experienced it then. All right. Someone who loves, is in love with themselves. You know, I went and searched on Amazon in the book section for um, loving yourself and received over 10,000 responses. I mean, that's an awful lot of focus on loving yourself, I think. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. Um, there's an important respect that God wants you to have um, for yourself that has to do with the image of God in you. But that idea is, is properly expressed first in us in the two great commandments. Loving God first. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And loving your neighbor as ourselves. But when we're in love with ourselves, we become the focus of everything. And it blocks us from having the thankfulness that God intends. All right, second one is this. Being a lover of money. Being a lover of money. Greed, covetousness, the desire for more. The focus on what you don't have will short-circuit your ability to be thankful for what you do have. Jesus said what? You can't have two masters, right? Either you'll hate the one and love the other or despise the one and, and be devoted to the other. You can't love God and money. But godliness with contentment is great gain. It enables you to be a grateful person. All right, third one is this. Being a lover of pleasure. Being a lover of pleasure. This is the person who says, if it feels good, do it. And the Bible describes it as the person who's always seeking to gratify the cravings of the sinful nature. Always seeking to please the senses in sinful ways. And the problem is that sinful pleasures never say enough. I mean, they never say enough. They're never satisfied. They always want more. And when you're always focused on more, you can't be thankful for what you already have. Being a lover of pleasure short circuits your ability to be grateful. And the next one is this, being proud or boastful. Proud or boastful. You know, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but you know, there, are, there are some people who believe that they're God's gift to everyone else around them. You know, it's the person whose favorite subject is themselves. The one who's always focused on themselves and always interprets every situation, no matter what everyone else is going through, as how it affects themselves. And the problem is when you're focused on yourselves all the time, there's no space to be thankful for the blessings you have from other people and from God. All right, next one is this, being abusive. All right, so the person who's abusive, that's the person who's always using other people for their own gain. The person who uses other people for their own agenda, right? And of course, when we think of the term abusive, we usually think of the terms of, you know, the, the person who's uh, maybe uh, uh, beating their wife or, or, or being verbally abusive to someone else. But, uh, and that's true, right? And uh, that's abuse. But it doesn't always have to be that drastic. You know, some people, you've heard how some people use things to love people. And, and you know, that, that's okay. You know, maybe you show up with flowers for your wife or something else like that. Sometimes I love my wife by showing up in the doorway with a cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Sometimes it's okay to use things to love people, right? But some people get that turned around, and they use people to love things. Well, that's not really okay. And, uh, and so people become tools for a person to obtain an objective. That's abusive. And so being abusive in this way will completely hinder your ability to be appreciative for the contributions and sacrifices of others and for the sacrifice that Jesus made for you because they're just tools to be used to achieve goals. All right, next one is this. Being unholy. Holiness in the Bible is the idea of being set apart from things that are sinful and dedicated to 
God. And so the person who is unholy is not dedicated to God. Their heart isn't oriented towards God. And so for this person, there's really no one to be thankful towards. So a lack of holiness short-circuits thankfulness. Next one is this, being unforgiving, having an unforgiving heart. The heart that refuses to forgive. Now, I'm not talking about the times when, you know, someone really wronged you seriously, and you're working through it. You're bringing it to God and working through it. God, help me, you know, to forgive this person and love this person. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who's just decided, I am not forgiving. I am holding on to this grudge. I'm just going to hold on to it. person who holds on to injustices. And the problem with the unforgiving heart is that it always feels like it's owed something. It always feels like it's on the short end of the stick, and somebody somewhere owes them something. And so the problem with this attitude is that it makes it incapable of appreciating what you have from God and from others because um, there's still something that you're owed. All right, last one is this. Having a form of godliness. You've heard that before, right? Having a form of godliness. You know, the Bible says having a form of godliness. What it means is looking religious on the outside, but having no heart transformation on the inside. Looking religious, but having no heart transformation. And you can see an example of that in Matthew chapter 23. You know, Jesus is talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and how they're going to all this effort to look religious to everyone around them, but their hearts were far from God. And in the end, he says that they were like whitewashed tombs that look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside were full of dead men's bones. And the problem with this type of person is that they're so focused on what other people think of them that they can't focus for a minute on what God or anyone else has done for them. Having a form of godliness short-circuits thankfulness. All right, so there they are. Nine things that will short-circuit thankfulness in honor of our nine guys who were so unthankful to Jesus for his blessings. Let's conclude this morning by looking at the last verse in our story. It says in verse 19, Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Get on with your life. Be blessed. Walk in this blessing that God has given to you. Live your life under the blessings of God. You know, this kind of reminds me of that scripture where Jesus said, you know, the thief, the devil comes, but only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. You know, Jesus rejoices when people have a full life under his blessings, honoring him. Right? Jesus doesn't take joy in, in sickness and difficulties and troubles. Jesus doesn't rejoice at that kind of thing. He, he's come that they may have life and have it to the full. So when Jesus has healed you, when Jesus has forgiven you, when Jesus has given you heart transformation and made your life all new again, he says, rise and go. Live your life under the blessings of God. And then he says this, your faith has made you well. I mean, this man had a desperate situation. A situation that was impossible to deal with in the natural. But he knew who to go to. He knew who could deal with his situation. And so he went to Jesus. His faith made him well. Can I encourage you to be like this man? I don't know what situation you might be facing this week, what difficulty you might be facing this week. But be like this man. And I've learned this 
in my almost 30 years of ministry now. As I look at all of you, most of you are probably either coming out of a situation or you're right in the middle of a situation or you're heading into a situation. When you're in a situation, be like this man. Go to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. Walk in faith, trusting that Jesus can deal with the situation and bring you to the other side. Even if he's not dealing with you the same way that he dealt with you last time and it's a little bit different this time, uh, trust Jesus, keep putting one step in front of the other in faith. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Amen. 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 Praise God. Would you just stand with me now? Amen. Amen. Praise you. As we bow in prayer, um, let me just ask, you know, is anyone here? You know, you've got um, something that you're going through. You can just name it right now. And it's kind of difficult. You wish you weren't going through it. If you want to remember you and pray, you just raise your hand right where you are and say, yeah, Pastor Paul, that's me. I've got something that I'm just going through. It's really difficult. Amen. Thank you for that hand. And thank you for that hand. Anyone else that hand? Anyone else? See, I've got this thing I carry. Amen. Amen. Thank you for those hands. God, you see those hands that went up, God. God, I know you said, Jesus, in the world, we will have tribulation and trials and those types of things, God. And, uh, uh, but, God, you see, Jesus, I know you walk these roads, and you know they're difficult, God. And, uh, Jesus, um, you had a difficult time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so you know what we're going through. And so, God, I pray for those who have lifted their hands and said they're going through a difficult time, God. In the name of Jesus, pour your grace on them, I pray, God. God, pour your blessing upon them as they take just one more step. That one step that they can see, God, in faith, following you, God. Encourage, lift up your people, God. Help us in the midst of all of these things to find something to be thankful for. Where it says, be thankful in all things. God, help us to find those things to praise you and to be thankful for. And to know that you are going to bring us through this time, God. You are going to bring us through to the other side. And God, one day we are going to stand before you and see your face because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. God, old things passed away and everything new, God. Thank you for that, God. Encourage your people. Lift up your people. And God, may we as a people be characterized by thankfulness. God, both towards you, God, and towards those around us in our family and on our job site, God. Um, and in our world, God, in every way. God, bless your people, encourage, and lift up. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And I love them said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome Thanksgiving week under the grace and blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ.